just get that up there. Good morning. Oh, this one is the broken one. So that's as high as it goes. Okay. Let's just leave it like that. Let's just try that again. Good morning. Okay, there we go. That's a better response there. If I could just get my trusty timer on. Okay, it's great to be here with you this morning. Um, it's been a good week, uh, recovering after uh, last weekend's Ironman Whistler. Um, and uh, those of you that know about that, yeah, by God's grace, I was able to complete that race with a buddy of mine. And it was a fantastic time. And believe it or not, uh, on the bike for seven hours during that triathlon, I was, was really thinking about this morning and I was praying and, and thinking about this message. So it's really awesome to, to really uh, yeah, be with you here this morning and to give God all the glory for that. And uh, we're just going to jump straight into it. Uh, the message title this morning is uh, Powerless Religion. Powerless Religion, and it's a, sort of like a two-part series. Uh, next Sunday uh, will be entitled Powerful Faith. So today is Powerless Religion, and next Sunday will be Powerful Faith. And I'm going to start off this morning by asking, uh, as normal, with a, a message, asking a question. And this morning's question is, you know, have you ever been caught by the old bait-and-switch marketing tactic. How many of you are familiar with a bait-and-switch? Okay, if you're not familiar what, with uh, that term, the bait-and-switch, what it basically entails is the following. It is the idea that a seller of a product or a service advertises a product or service at a specific low price and you are enticed to go and buy that product or get that service and then when you arrive then surprise surprise the product is either sold out and you are then pushed into a different product into taking on a different service at maybe a higher price but it is a similar product or maybe even just a little bit better than the one that sold out and so you're pressured in that situation to all of a sudden make this decision to get that product or service, but in the end it costs you way more. Okay? So maybe some of you are familiar with that. I'm going to tell you a funny story, a funny example of how I was caught out by a bait and switch. In uh, 2006 and 2007, I lived in London, England, and uh, I was a substitute teacher trying to pay off study debt uh, that I had in South Africa. And what it basically would entail is it's, it's more like uh, babysitting and classroom management. That's what it is if you're a substitute teacher. Okay? You just try and survive the day that the kids don't kill you. And, um, but what I would do in those years was the following. During my holiday times, I would try and get into medical trials for money. So I would volunteer to be a lab rat. Or actually, it would be phase one trials. After they tested it on the rats, I would be the, the guy that would go and lie down and, and test medication. Now, Jean had pointed out to me, maybe, maybe it's just coincidence, but before I went to England, I had a lot of hair. I promise you, if you look at my wedding photos, I had a lot of hair, and after England, then year by year, the hair just started falling out. Okay, but 
what happened in that time was I was doing certain trials, but one of the trials entailed that if you had impacted wisdom teeth, you could qualify for a trial that they tested pain medica medication on you after they removed the wisdom teeth. And I, at that stage, had wisdom teeth, and I didn't have a dental plan. I didn't have money to do it. So I volunteered. They took the x-rays, and yes, I qualified. And so they gave me a date to arrive, and I arrived there. And I'm on this you know, stool, and I'm sitting there. And, and then they say, listen, by the way, we can only do the one side. And I was like, what? What do you mean you can only do the one side? And they said, yes, this... Didn't they tell you, like, we can only remove the one side of your mouth's uh, wisdom teeth? And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And they said, yeah. And I was in that situation. What am I going to do, right? Like, I'm there already. Um, it hurts. And I, I was like, yeah, okay, let's go for it. And so they removed the left side because that was the, the most painful side. They removed both uh, uh, top and bottom teeth. And so afterwards, I received the medication. They gave it to me, uh, IV in my left arm. But it didn't work, okay? It was a placebo, most probably. Thankfully, who knows what, what was in that medication. <laughs> but um, a couple of weeks after that, I received my 200 pounds, perhaps, for doing the medical trial. But then about a month after that, my left arm, like here, my left bicep, turned like blue-green. Like I had like this bruise, and I freaked out. And I was Skyping with Jean, and I told her, listen, this is what's going on. And she, she was like, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. You need to phone them. I phoned them. I said, listen, this is what's going on. And they told me, hey, really, thank you for giving us this info. This is great for our research. But they said, we can't do anything for you. We, we can't help you. Like, you're going to have to, if something happens, you need to go to the hospital. And I was like, what? And uh, I thought I was going to die, uh, but Jean just encouraged me to say, listen, just monitor it. If it doesn't turn red, that's okay, because apparently if it would turn red, they would have to take out the whole vein and whatnot. So, um, but I was, I was called out by a bait and switch. It turned out okay. I got the 200 pounds, but you know, after that, I, I was still stuck with the other wisdom teeth that, that were impacted, and eventually later on, I had to go back go through the whole procedure again. So it was painful not once, but twice. And in the end, I had to go and ask myself, listen, was it really worth it to go through that? Uh, should I have been maybe a little bit smarter? Now, why do I use that illustration this morning? I use it because I believe in the same way many of us can be lured into Christianity, into pursuing Christianity by many promises that are similar to these bait and switch tactics that we see in the marketing world. These bait and switches can take various forms and have various consequences in our lives. It might take the form of the following. An easy commitment to following Jesus. Praying a simple prayer and you're in. Or hey, if you commit your life to Jesus... Now, by praying this prayer, everything in your life is going to be fixed. There's going to be prosperity that follows. Something that's pitched to us in that way. Or, on many occasions, we're also lured into pursuing Christianity and, and pursuing Jesus by a religious experience. Sunday after Sunday, conference after conference, Bible study after Bible study, we gather. But the question is, in the end... 
does that change our hearts? Because many times we are then lured into these experiences. It looks religious. It looks impressive. But it leads to no change in our lives. I'm still stuck in my old sinful habits, habitual sins. And so in other words, all that you're then left with is powerless religion. It is acting out something that you believe, but it's powerless. There's no power in it. Now, I'm going to take you to where I get the title of my message from and a passage in Scripture that talks about this danger that we are talking about this morning that I want to highlight to us. And if you can turn to 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5, that would be great. And if I could ask, if, if there's someone who could just bring me a glass of water, I always, after my first couple of minutes, just uh, my mouth runs dry. But okay, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, who is a young pastor of the church in Ephesus. And this is what he tells him. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Thank you so much, CJ. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Does that sound familiar? Lovers of self. Thinking about Facebook, thinking about social media. And thinking about our posts that are the majority of the time about ourselves. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here the, the final verse there. Paul says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he says, avoid such people. Now, my question to us this morning is, how can that be possible to have the appearance of godliness, to have an appearance of religiosity, devotion to Jesus, a posture of worship, that looks like it's a real deal, but in the end, it is powerless. And in order for us to answer this question, I want to take you then back to the book of Jeremiah, which is the, the main passage that I'm going to focus on that I will be highlighting three bait and switches out for us this morning that I believe the passage teaches us to look out for and recognize. So if you can turn to Jeremiah 7... Verses 1 to 11. Jeremiah 7, verses 1 to 11. And I'm going to read it to us. It won't be there on the screen, so if you can follow in your Bibles, that would be fantastic. So at this stage... 
God is using the prophet Jeremiah to minister to the people of Israel and specifically the southern kingdom, kingdom of Judah, after there had been a split between, or the, the kingdom of Israel had been split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so the northern kingdom had gone to the north in that area which is referred to as uh, Samaria. Southern kingdom had stayed in that area where Jerusalem was still the capital. They still had the temple. And so the people of Judah thought that they were, they were okay. They weren't as bad as the northern kingdom. But listen to what the prophet Jeremiah tells them through the word of the Lord. It says there, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah, who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that is truth. And Lord, that uh, we can be sanctified by your word, for your word is truth. So I come and pray, Holy Spirit, come and speak through your word. And uh, yeah, louder, speak louder than, than me this morning. Might be you that is that is speaking, and uh, we are listening, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My message outline this morning consists out of three bait-and-switches. The first one is location, location, location. Second one is just believe. Third one is come as you are. No perfect people allowed. The first one, location, location, location. If you look at verses 1 to 4 out of that passage, we see that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The Lord instructed him to stand at the gate of the Lord's house to say to the people there the following in verse 3. Amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. You know that in the business world, any entrepreneur or business person knows location is key. They will tell you location, location, location. That is what's going to bring success to your business. That is crucial. 
to find the right place. Now, what we see here is in Jeremiah 7 verses 1 to 4 that it is clear that the people of Israel took that bait, that they thought that their faith and their right standing with God was because of the place of worship. In other words, the location. They thought it was because they had the temple of the Lord. They thought that those deceptive words of the temple of the Lord, by them chanting it and them speaking it, that that is what's going to maintain the relationship with God. In other words, what they also thought was that the temple was a sanctified place. And so they viewed the temple as this place where if they would go in, they would get sanctified and all cleaned up. And so they would perform all their rituals, make their offerings, bring whatever it is that they had to offer. And so they put their faith in that. They put their faith in the ritualistic re religiosity of Judaism. And so in other words, what they were worshipping is they were worshipping the temple of the Lord instead of the Lord of the temple. So that was the bait. Lovely bagpipes. The switch, the switch was this, that instead of actually worshipping God, instead of actually worshipping Yahweh, they were worshipping a false idea. They were worshipping a religious activity. Thinking that it was dependent on their place of worship. So, I want to illustrate it to you in this way. It could be similar to a marriage. It could be like my relationship with Jean, my wife. If I were to walk around the whole time and point to this ring and go, this is the ring of the covenant, the ring of the covenant, the ring of the covenant. And everywhere I, I, I show it around and I'm like, hey, this, this is it. This is the marriage. This is what keeps us together. But in the meantime, you know, hey, Rudy, I have seen you flirt with other women. I have seen your short temper with your wife. I have seen that you live a life that is not devoted to your wife. There's no affection. There's no love. That would not be a real marriage. You'd be shaking your head and saying, this guy has totally gone bonkers. Clearly, he cannot be in right standing. This marriage cannot be healthy. It's not a healthy relationship. And so, in the same way, how often do we not make and can we make the mistake, just like the people of Israel? We put our trust in worship gatherings, in church buildings, great locations, Downtown Squamish. And we think that is what makes us in good standing with God. Now, a way that we can test for this is by listening to these questions, I believe, and then just looking at our answer. The, the first question I want to ask you this morning is, you know, is your worship of Jesus only one day of the week? Or is... The Sunday gathering where we worship Jesus, is that an outflow of the rest of your week's worship? Do you come here to have your conscience just cleared and thinking that God is now way more happier with you than in the rest of the week? 
I'm not saying that this negates and saying that this is worth nothing, but there is a difference. It's a difference to come here to worship only one day of the week instead of that being an outflow and a celebration of your worship that is continuing. It should be continuing every day. And then the other question is, do you think your worship of Jesus depends on whether or not you are here in this building or in any church building for that matter? And only you can answer that question. But I want to encourage you that if there is a mindset where you think that it is a matter of the building or the place, that, that it should not be so. Listen to, to this. Sanctified spaces or places don't sanctify, but those who are being sanctified become the sanctifying spaces and places. In other words, it's not sacred spaces or places or those that are devoted to the worship of God that make you holy. But it is us that are being made holier and holier as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus more and more. It's us who are the dwelling places. We are the ones that God chooses to dwell within. Scripture that points that out is 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. It says the following, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In other words, in Christ Jesus, you are a walking, talking temple of the living God. I'll repeat that. In Christ Jesus, you are a walking, talking temple of the living God. Can you imagine? Can you just think what that means for your relationships at work, in your family, in friendships? It means that every person that does not know Jesus is an arm length away from an encounter with God because the Holy Spirit is within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, through you. Not you, but Christ in you. Because He dwells within you. You guys got that? Everyone's looking at me like thinking about the fire truck outside. Hey, wake up! Okay? Forget about the guys outside. We're here. Okay. So that's, it's important. Because we miss that. And I promise you, it is easy for us to fall into that trap where we, we fall into a ritualistic, it's a, it's a dead, powerless religion because we just go through the motions. And I want you to remember that. It's, it's not sanctified spaces or places that sanctifies, but it's us who are being sanctified. And the, the crucial thing is we're being sanctified. We're not saying you're perfect. The salvation process is a process of sanctification. When I got saved, all of the things, all of the, the sinful things that were in my life, I didn't just immediately stop doing them. It was a process of a desire that changed within my heart, wanting to change, wanting more of Jesus. And as I grew in the Lord, I put certain measures in place, greater accountability with, with things, uh, a greater desire to serve God. And as time goes by, He sanctifies us. Okay, so that's the first bait and switch. The second one, just believe. Verses 5 to 7. In that passage, 
says, therefore, if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of all to your fathers forever. The bait here is similar to point one where they thought they were in right standing because of location. Here they thought that they were in right standing just because they believed. It is clear that God tells them, listen, amend your ways. There is an action needed. There is something that follows your belief. They thought they would be okay without having to complete what was dear to their father's heart, which is justice and mercy. You know, what it can look like for us today is once again that bait of, you know, it's just about, just believe, just believe, man. Like nothing else is required of you. And the switch is that in the end again, you're stuck in a false, dead religious action or faith because it cannot save. Listen to what James says in James 2, verses 14 to 17. He writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is purely, uh, poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So the truth is, yes, we are saved by Grace through faith in Jesus Christ, as in accordance with Ephesians 2.8. Yes, that, that is true. But if it is real and true faith, if it is empowered by the Spirit of God, then that's going to lead to the works that demonstrate that. It's going to lead to the fruits that demonstrate it. It's not the other way around. You don't look for the fruits. You don't produce the fruits in order to have faith and to be in right standing with God. But it is because of that, because of your relationship with Jesus, because of His grace that He has shown you, because of His abounding, steadfast love towards us, that that changes your desires. It changes the works. It changes your, your speaking. It changes how you look at people. And that is what God is saying to them. That is exactly what God wanted to say to Israel in that text. If they wanted to really be in good standing with Him, it wasn't about the religious outward practices, but it was about the fact that they were neglecting those who are most in need, the sojourners, the orphans, the widows, and the innocent. In other words, God's heart from the start was the great commission to go and tell the nations. If you look at the Old Testament, if you look at the Psalms, I read it again this morning, Tell the nations of how good God is. Proclaim it to the nations. It's not a New Testament idea. It's from the start. From the start, God, uh, start God's plan was that the good news of who He is would go forth and that the Gentiles, the nations, would be saved through faith in Him. And so I want to emphasize this. Faith without works is dead, but works without faith is also dead. Because many people will say, oh yeah, I got works. 
I speak regularly to a guy who comes here to the ledge and he says, yeah, 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 my God, your God didn't tell me to look after orphans and look after widows and do these things. My God has told me to do that. And so I said, but the only person who can really save you is Jesus Christ. Yeah, 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 I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And that person says, in the end, my good works are going to make me okay with my God. He's made up a God for himself. It's not the same God. He's trying to work it the other way around. He thinks doing the good things is going to bring him in right standing with God. No. It's only through Jesus and only through him alone. And so to revise or just to go through, recap the first two baits and switches at the end of this one. The first one, location, location, is about the bait that my faith is dependent on a specific place and rituals. The problem with that is I'm switched with a powerless religion, outward practices that cannot save. With the second one, with just believing, again, I'm stuck in a faith and a belief, saying that I believe something, but my actions don't follow. So once again, I'm switched with actions that are powerless or a faith or a belief that is powerless. It does not save. And now we get to the final bait and switch. Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. Verses 8 to 11. It says there, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered! Only to go on doing all of these abominations has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. The bait here that is given to us is as I entitled it, Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. What that basically is saying is, come with all your sins, no change is needed. You don't have to change. Just come as you are. You can keep on living in your sin. Jesus is actually okay with it. I remember this uh, as I was preparing. And I want to share with you this illustration. When I was in high school, I had many friends that were uh, going to youth groups and specifically in the church that they... Um, were part of, they had to go through uh, catechism, I think you call it, catechism, uh, at the age of 17. And, and the majority of my friends were doing that, and I wasn't, because at that stage I wasn't in the church. I was, um, yeah, just because of circumstances, not, not part of that. But I remember clearly one of my friends telling me after his catechism camp, he was quite excited, he came back, and he said it was great. They had this talk with his youth pastor, and they'd ask him a specific question on whether or not it was sin in God's eyes if they had sex out of marriage. Was it sinful in God's eyes if they had sex with their girlfriend or boyfriend? And he was quite surprised, but he, he, he was quite delighted because the pastor had told him, No, you know, don't, I, I don't think it is sin in God's eyes. Uh, the pastor had told him, for God, it is a problem that you have multiple partners and sleep around. But if, if, if you love this girlfriend, even though you don't know you're going to marry her, it would be okay. And so I listened to that and I thought to myself, wow, that's interesting. 
And so the bait was, hey, it's okay. You can follow Jesus, but you still keep on living the same way that you lived before following Jesus. The problem with that is, is that the switch is what you end up with then is that you're still dead in your sin. You're still, you're li basically living a lie. And in the end, what happens is the word of God gets changed to suit our lifestyles and the culture. You know, if we look at that passage, Israel thought that they could enter the temple, become sanctified, and just believe in God, and still make sacrifices and offerings to obviously false gods and idols, like Baal. And they thought it would not affect their relationship with God. And so in the same way, I believe we can also be deceived in thinking that we can serve God, that we can follow Jesus, but then we think we can do that with a very inclusive message and we can be very naive to think that that's not going to influence the way that we view the Word of God. So in the end, with that bait and switch, we need to be awake to that and understand that, you know, it sounds very inclusive, it sounds very nice. But in the end, it compromises the gospel because it's not the true gospel. Listen to what 1 John 3 verse 9 says. John writes and he says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now it's not saying that you are then sinless and never again Without sin, that is, not, that is not what it says, but it, it points us in a direction where we are being sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is impossible that if we have truly been filled with the Holy Spirit to carry on in a habitual sin that is outrightly against the Word of God. It is impossible. There is something wrong if, if that is what happens in our lives. And so we've got to be awake to those three baits and switches. But it would be terrible if I left you just there. If I said, great, those are the dangers. Those are the baits and switches. And don't worry, I won't do that. Because I'm going to conclude with the following. There's good news. You guys agree? There should be good news, right? If we go back to 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5. You know, Paul lists all of these things that are going to be the characteristics of the last days. And specifically, he's talking about what it's going to look like in the church. Because in verse 5, again, I repeat this. He says, all of these things are going to happen, but watch out. They will have an appearance of godliness. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, listen, they might look like they're Christians. They might look like they follow Jesus, but they deny the power of God. But listen to his instruction carefully here. He says, avoid such people. So I want to leave you then here with three things to take away from this and then one very big idea at the end. Firstly, we need to examine ourselves and ask whether or not I personally am not perhaps one of such people that 
Paul is talking about here. He says, avoid such people, but first I need to examine and ask, Lord, am I perhaps caught in any of these things? Am I deceived? Because I personally, I would look at that and say, you know what, there are some things listed there that I would say, I am guilty. I am deceived in thinking that I am not participating in some of these things. And so I need to rely on Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to convict me and to cleanse me and to once again be empowered to live for Him. Secondly, I need to ask, do I have perhaps an appearance of godliness, but there's no power at work in my life? The Holy Spirit is not at work. And I want to ask you, have you, have you ever experienced being born again? Like Jesus told Nicodemus, listen, if, you can, if you're not born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I remember as, as clear as day that there was a difference in my life that I cannot explain, but it was a difference when I finally, finally received and, and, and experienced God's grace, mercy, and love and forgiveness for all of the sins of my life and knew what He said about me. My life was never again the same. My family thought that I was a little bit crazy, actually. My sister was very worried. I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And she told John, Hey, listen, is Rudy okay? I'm worried about him because, you know, our family history with mental illness. And John said, You know what? It's okay. No, he's, he's all right. He's just bonkers about Jesus. And so if you've not experienced that, if you've not experienced a passion and a renewal within you by the Holy Spirit, today is the day that you can do that by putting your trust and your faith in God and the work that He has done through Jesus. And then thirdly, I'm going to tell you that if you are in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul's instruction is, Avoid people that are living a life that is according to those first four verses. It's interesting that he says that, right? But you know what we do many times? We want to be saviors. I have made that mistake many times. I think to myself, you know what? I'm going to keep on hanging with these people and I see all of these things, but you know, it's not going to have an influence on me. Like, I will show them Jesus. They just need, you know... But if I was truly honest, I was actually trying to be the Savior. I thought that I was going to be the one who leads them to Christ. And it's interesting how Paul says, avoid such people. And I think he does that with a specific reason. Because we should not underestimate the effect that other people's lives, if they are living in especially within the church and they are living in sin and acting, And being hypocritical, it will have an influence on us if we're not in the truth, if we don't stay in the Word, if we don't stay on mission. And so those are the three things I want to help us with or, or give to us today to take away. But the biggest idea is this. Listen to this good news. This is the greatest news. The reality is this. Jesus Christ invites you to a better bait and switch. Believe it or not, Jesus has a bait and switch. Okay? The only difference is that at the cross of Calvary, where Jesus was brutally killed, 
and his blood was shed for the sins of mankind, guess what? Jesus became the bait for us. Jesus became the bait. He was the bait for Satan. Satan thought that he had won when Jesus died on the cross. But Jesus dealt Satan sin and death the final blow by switching his life with ours. The great exchange. See, we are the ones who were supposed to die on the cross for the sin and rebellion that we have within us against God. God's wrath was against us, but because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are now clothed and given His righteousness. God, being merciful, slow to anger, and rich in love, provided a better way for each and every one of us to have a living relationship with Him by exchanging Jesus' life for us. His righteousness for our sinfulness. Listen to this last verse that I have. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus invites you to come as you are. There's nothing wrong with that. Come as you are. We're supposed to tell people that. Come. Jesus invites you as you are. Whatever your sin is. But we have to be honest and say, be prepared to be changed by Him. Because He wants to clothe you in His righteousness, His goodness, His holiness. And that's the gospel. Let's reflect on that as I... We'll just end off for us in prayer and um, I'm going to invite Glenn just to handle communion for us this morning. But yeah, let's just be in a posture of asking God by His Spirit to speak to us through this word. And let's listen. Let's just bow our heads in prayer.